0: Good morning, let me invite you to turn in your Bible to John chapter 10, this morning we're going to be reading and then studying verses 1 through 21, so John 10 beginning in verse 1, John writes under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. Truly, truly, this is Jesus, I say to you, he who does not enter the sheepfold by the door, but climbs in by another way, that man is a thief and a robber. But he who enters by the door is the shepherd of the sheep. To him the gatekeeper opens, the sheep hear his voice. I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. He who is a hired hand and not a shepherd, who does not own the sheep, sees the wolf coming and leaves the sheep and flees. And the wolf snatches them and scatters them. He flees, For this reason the Father loves me. Because I lay down my life that I may take it up again. No one takes it from me. But I lay it down of my own accord. I have authority to lay it down. And I have authority to take it up again. This charge I have received from my Father. There was again a a division among the Jews because of these words. Many of them said... He has a demon and is insane. Why listen to him? Others said, These are not the words of one who is oppressed by a demon. Can a demon open the eyes of the blind? Would you pray with me? <clears throat> Lord, we love you so much, but not nearly well enough. And so I pray. Please uh, come and help us, grant your spirit to come, and work in our hearts that we might see, according to your word, a true biblical vision of the good shepherd. Work in the hearts of our shepherds as sheep, and also in the hearts of every sheep. We ask it in Jesus' name, amen. What makes for a good shepherd? How would we answer that question? Foregoing, 1 Timothy chapter 3, foregoing Titus 1, foregoing 1 Peter 5 and so on for the sake of argument, would we maybe form an opinion from, uh, I don't know, like a, a Barna study or something like that? Would we look to the pastors today with the most pop or the most cachet uh, maybe the biggest crowds, or maybe we look to the the great pastorates of history, surely there 's something there that we can learn about good shepherding. Or maybe you 'd start with a church survey, just as i 'm asking you now, you want to know what does the pew think about good shepherding? Uh, but, but what if uh, those in the pew have never actually known a, a good shepherd? What if for all their time in the pew they 've never really heard? A word about it. Never seen it really modeled for them. Not in a sustained way. Not really. For what it's worth, I I do believe they exist. (laughs) Only that they're far too rare. And perhaps that's why at times you feel like giving up on the whole ideal of a good shepherd. You're a true sheep who's been disillusioned by shepherds you thought were good. Things seem good for a while. Inevitably, they went astray. The shepherd went rogue, and what you thought was sturdy proved to be a house of cards. What you thought, true to God, proved to be the makings of men, and you were hurt badly. And so you don't have much hope left for this ideal of a good shepherd. And I think that's understandable. I was converted under the preaching of a man who within six months of that occurring was out of the church for moral failure. He never repented, at least not to my knowledge. I have regular bouts of sorrow over pastor yourselves, pastors, and the churches that love to have it like that. So I get it. I I, I really do get it. But what I want to do today is try to give us some hope. You see, there is is a, a good shepherd. And there are good shepherds who are aiming to be men after his own heart. The question is, are we near enough to the Christ of the Bible as shepherds and as sheep to recognize the very concept of good shepherding? Because the Israel, what I want us to see, the congregation of Israel, in our text, they were not. They didn't get it. We're going to see at the end of our passage. So let's just come to it and think first about Christ's good shepherds. And if you were gathered with us a week ago, you'll notice John gives no indication here. There's no break. To tell us that the scene has shifted. Uh, Jesus is still speaking, apparently, it would seem, to the blind guides of Israel. uh, Those that he judged guilty of spiritual ignorance, he now teaches about truly divine ministry. And the imagery, the imagery alone makes a point. And I would just urge you, encourage you today to go, maybe this afternoon, uh, in between now and the time that we reconvene at 4.30 uh, for the Johnson's uh, cookie thing, um, Go and read Ezekiel 34. Go and read Ezekiel 34. There, you're going to find that God condemned the spiritual leaders of that nation as uh, shepherds who were not after his own heart. And it appears here that what God condemned there, they've not corrected. And that's been evident in this gospel, hasn't it? We've seen shepherds who are abusing the people. They're laying burdens on the people that they themselves cannot bear and they aren't going to bear for them as a model. Uh, They've been purveyors of fear rather than of faith in Christ. Their office, their, their status, their place has been their glory instead of their God and the service of their God. And so they have just whiffed on the word. And they have shunned the light that sought to correct them. And in the process then, they have constructed a people, you remember back to John chapter 6 and John chapter 8, they've constructed a people who cannot tolerate the truth about Jesus. They can't endure those hard sayings. They have no inclination to abide in His Word. They're like their leaders. If you think back to John chapter 5. They're a congregation where sin and unbelief and self-righteousness thrive. There are people who would sooner crucify Christ, as we heard this morning in our word and prayer time, they would sooner crucify Christ than believe Him. It's the blind truly leading the blind. And to that I say, God help us all. Uh, Ezekiel 34 is a text of scripture that is meant as a corrective to the sheep and the shepherds of Israel. But in spite of it, they stayed the same. They did not repent. They they were not broken. They did not adjust their sights. They didn't act to ensure the better days of a truly divine ministry. And we can just be thankful that God did act. That's why in our passage here, we have Jesus, who is the good shepherd. And dear ones, if we'd like to see this church thrive, I don't know if you know this, but this church is 161 years old this year. That's incredible. And if we'd like to see it thrive for another 161 years to the glory of Christ, we need to learn by the obstinance of Israel to be correctable by the Bible. To be adjustable to the Word of God. Well, here he goes. The Word incarnate. Jesus tells them that insofar as they haven't entered by Him into the service of God's sheep, they are, verse 1, thieves and robbers. They are unauthorized. Unauthorized imposters. They're false shepherds. And so friends, listen. Just because a person says they're a pastor, or has a pastorate, or is called pastor by some, does not make them an authorized figure for the church. I remember lamenting a part of a, a seminary president's graduation sermon uh, from First John, I believe it was. Crazy the things that you remember. Uh, in it, he said, As you have now have a seminary degree, you are set to tackle the world as ministers of the gospel. <laughs> that is just not true. It's not a seminary degree that makes a true shepherd of God's sheep. It's all out faithfulness to the scriptural door. Here's what I mean. Look at verse 2. Jesus says, it's he who enters by the door who's the shepherd of the sheep. See that? So you go into the fold by any other way and you're considered a danger to the flock. So you say, okay, what's the door? What, what is the door? And Jesus tells us in verse 7, doesn't he? He says there, I am the door. <laughs> I, I am the door. And, and so just to, to kind of keep our thoughts at bay as to how all of these uh, parabolic figures exactly apply, I would just offer this in summary. I, I think he's saying that all true ministry... And every true minister ever begins and ends with Him. There is no way of going around Jesus and at the same time being faithful to God's people. No way of entering well into that noble art and task of pastoral ministry but by the daily resolve to chiefly magnify Jesus. It's what all the good prophets did. If you remember that from 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 10 and 11. And it's what all good pastors, what all good shepherds will do. For you see, in the text, that to come in by another way is to what? Is to pay no mind to the door. And sadly... There are many who only mind the weak parts in the wall. How can I get in not by the door? It's not for Christ's glory. It's not for the good of the sheep that they enter. It's for their glory and for their good. They enter in and they exalt their voice. They exalt their person by undercutting his voice. And the undiscerning will eat that stuff up. The true sheep will not. But religious goats, they'll eat all kinds of stuff. The untrained might. But by and large, Christ's sheep are wanting Christ's shepherds. Those who, in going in and out by the door, always have His honor In view. They know no other way of shepherding his flock than by him. They have, as one put it, a single eye to Christ. To preach Christ by the word of Christ. In the strength of Christ. That souls might come to Christ and walk with Christ. To the glory of Christ. That one, the one who who makes much of Christ is the shepherd after God's own heart. Whereas the one who makes little of Christ, he says, God regards as an imposter. See then very generally in verses 3-5 to how Christ shepherds benefit Christ's sheep. As said, they come by Christ. They're identifiably His. And so the gatekeeper, don't know who that is, maybe it's the father, I don't know. He opens to them all very divine it seems and in the frame of that door in the frame of Christ they call their own sheep by name hear that by name and I'd encourage you with all my heart don't ignore that detail it is not at a distance that Christ shepherds know his sheep they are so among them so often And so personally that they call them by name. They know them by name and they call them by name. So while I know it's all the rage to attend churches precisely to not be known. Where you won't be known. Can't hardly be pastorally known. And to skip out on smaller folds or at least maybe more intentional shepherding with all of the the advantages it provides, dear ones, that is not at all good for you. Well, I have a small group for that. Well, is it a small group of good shepherds? Then okay. If not, that's not this. And Christ wants this for you. Shepherds who know their sheep. And sheep who know their shepherds. He wants us to hear the shepherd's voice in the flesh. Not just like looking someone up on YouTube or whatever, but like in the flesh. And in hearing that voice, hear his voice fleshed out. A voice that leads us out to pasture and back safely to the pen. A voice we trust to, to nourish our souls in all of the fields, in all of the valleys, and all of the mountain ranges of God's Word. The sheep hear the shepherd's voice and they just know intuitively over time that is safe, that is reliable, that is profitable for my soul. And so they come running By the word of God, he he leads them. And they follow. And just so, they've been trained then, verse 5, to flee any alien voice. Being trained by good shepherds, they quickly recognize thieves. They hear that voice and what do they do? They, They shoot out all over the place. They scatter. Because they don't know it. It implies that's not Trustworthy, that's not reliable, that's not profitable, that is dangerous. And so, listen now a fold that will endure a stranger to Christ is a great danger unto themselves, as is a sheep that will not endure true shepherds of Christ. Spiritual discernment rooted in the scriptures is life and death critical for the sheep. Choose your shepherds wisely. Voices abound, don't we know it? In our own minds, and all around us, so that if we are loose with the Bible, if we're dismissive of its authority, if we're a mile wide and an inch deep, more sure of ourselves than God's inerrant word, more skeptical of good shepherds than of ourselves as sheep, we are going to be greatly confused and greatly endangered. And it says something in verse 6 then that these here in our text just don't get it. They don't understand what Jesus is saying to them. The Word of God, we have to remember now, the Word of God which establishes the entire background of the illustration. Ezekiel 34 is nowhere near to their hearts. And to be clear, I mainly mean here the hearts of the shepherds. That's who He's really talking to. Not the sheep, but the shepherds. Which would largely explain the sheep. Beloved, this text is not meant to justify me or any shepherd that this church ever has. It's meant really first to convict us for how poor we've been <laughs> and, to, and to just send us again to Christ, the Good Shepherd. And so as we go to him now, I think, I think, as I thought on it this week, I think this is just an open door for me to say how deeply sorrowful I am. And we are for all the ways that we fail you as shepherds. All the ways that we fall short of the biblical mark, which I'm sure is far more than we know or will ever be able to count up. I want to be honest about that. We are not the good shepherd. We too need him to shepherd us. And so I would ask you to please forgive us of our sins and to forgive us of our slights, and to forgive us of our severities. They are many. And I would invite you to pray for us as we come now to the Savior that will do better for you by the door, by Him. And to that end, He focuses first on a a primary distinction, something that differentiates Him from us. He, verse 7, is the door of the sheep. So, let's hear it, no mere pastor is the door. So we need to just stop with all the pastor worship that's going on today. The greatest shepherds are first and foremost still sheep who need the chief shepherd. Shepherds who forget that are like to become, verse 8, thieves. Those who claim Christ's sheep as their own without regard to him, without regard to his glory, they're just robbers. And again, his sheep, and I think he means throughout history here, have not listened to such imposters. It's not characteristic of them to listen to strangers. They've always inevitably heard his voice and followed him. Case in point, a week ago, John chapter 9, a man born blind. Jesus found him and called him, and despite the voices of those blind guys, despite the pressure that they were exerting on Him, despite the pressure of those who thought that they were the gatekeepers and maybe even the door, that man, you'll remember, went all out for Jesus. His soul had recognized in Christ its rightful shepherd and overseer. He found in Jesus the door to life. He was put out of the synagogue for Christ. And yet he found in Jesus' entry into the true fold of God. Put plainly, then, while all else are sinners, Jesus is Savior. Anyone else claiming that, anyone else thrusting themselves functionally into that position in your life, Anyone else alluring souls to depend on them for their life with God are those, verse 10, who only, only steal, kill, and destroy. They're missiles from the pit of hell. And uh, there is a prosperity gospel missile, and there is a self help missile. And there is a spiritual guru missile. And there is a cultural Christianity missile. And they all have one thing in common. Avoid the cross of Christ at all costs. They either avoid preaching it, or maybe they preach it, but they entirely avoid trying to model it. I say to my own shame, really, but we're talking about Jesus, who can be totally unashamed at this point, at every point. What it means for Him to be the door is that He, as He says three times in the rest of our text, will lay down His life for the sheep. He'll He'll bear the cross. And in that way, he will save his people. Uh, the, the, the death that would normally spell trouble for the sheep, that actually authors life for Christ's sheep. And as it says, verse 10, life abundant, which we need to be quick to say is not the same thing as an easy and prosperous life here in this world. Remember again, the blind man was just put out of his community. The community he had known all his life. They just tossed him out, excommunicated him from that body. He lost his world in the hour that he stood fast for Jesus. But remember, he did not forfeit his soul. Whatever he lost tangibly, Jesus himself more than mitigated. As one put it, then I believe it was Jim Elliot, he is no fool who gives what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. And what Jesus gives us, we cannot lose. Okay? Once forgiven, always forgiven. That's remarkable. Once regenerated, always alive. Once united to him, never divorced. Once adopted, never orphaned. Once indwelled, never deserted. Once an heir, never an outcast. Once we enter into Christ's fold, always protected, always known, always enveloped by divine love. That is abundant life. Whatever your life appears to be in the eyes of the world, that's abundant life. And it comes from Jesus. That's how He's pastorally unique. He's the savior of sinners. He's the chief shepherd. And hopefully you picked up on this. But if there is a pastoral emphasis in Christ, it seems to be this. Gracious self-exaltation. No, self-sacrifice. Again, three times. Verse 11, verse 15, verse 17. In his self-disclosure as the good shepherd, Jesus puts his cross at the very center of his ministry. His pastoral theme, his philosophy of ministry, his shepherd's heart can be summarized in this, I lay down my life for the sheep. Infinitely gracious self-sacrifice into three main ends. First in verses 11 to 13, we learn of his desire to protect us. He's not, verse 12, a hired hand. The sheep don't belong to the hired hand. And so they don't care about them, really. They only really care about what they can gain by the sheep. So long as things are nice and those waters are nice and still, they are happy to fleece the sheep. But just as soon as the situation transitions from green grass and still waters to the valley of the shadow of death and everything terrifying, they're gone. They abandon the sheep to fend for themselves. The safety of the fold is not worth their paycheck. Much less their lives. They're not like Timothy. Few are like Timothy. Who as Paul says in Philippians chapter 2 if you want to check it out later. He says about Timothy that he will be genuinely concerned For your welfare. God, no one like him. (laughs) He's the only one I know like this. Genuinely concerned for your welfare. Others seek their own interests. But Timothy now, Timothy will seek the interests of Jesus Christ. Timothy was a true shepherd. In the mold of Jesus. And my, how they are so rare who take their cues from Christ. But as to Christ, consider this how in the cross, Jesus far from prizing a paycheck like the hired hand might prized us and paid it all. And in so doing I want us to see that he met what was the most fearsome thing head on. You just set aside wolves in sheep's clothing for a second. Jesus Stared down the wide open wrath of God due to our sins. He saw the sin and guilt and shame that threatened to destroy us. And he did not run the other way. (laughs) He, He willingly ran towards that. And he he pried open that mouth and he pulled us out and he inserted himself in our place. And in doing so, he killed that predator. How so? By dying. And in the process, our shepherd speaks to us and says, I'm going to protect you. If I protect you from that, I'm going to protect you from everything that could harm your soul all the way to eternity. We understand the idea of arguing something from the greater to the lesser, don't we? If Jesus has already defeated our greatest foe, if he's already shut the mouth of hell, will he not also rescue us, so to speak, from hellions? From wolves in sheep's clothing? From unjust insults or attacks and those that come into the church and they mean to scatter? Will he not then protect us even from ourselves? We are sometimes enemy number one. Will He not protect us from our own indwelling sin? Will He not protect us from our temptation to to sin? Will He not protect us even in our trials from whatever the despair may be? Will He not hold us fast in those moments? He will. Won't He abide with us to bring us home, even if by the lion's mouth? I have to throw in 2 Timothy chapter 4 here. End of Paul's life. His final words. Don't you love last words? Paul said this. At my first defense, no one came to stand by me, but all deserted me. (laughs) And then he says, may it not be charged against them It's incredible. And then he says this, but the Lord stood by me and strengthened me so that through me the message might be fully proclaimed and all the Gentiles might hear it. And so I was rescued from the lion's mouth. The Lord will rescue me from every evil deed and bring me safely into His heavenly kingdom and He will do the same for you. He laid down his life for you. You can trust him. He will not let you down. He ran to the cross for you. He will not abandon you to your crosses for him. He is the good shepherd. Believe that. He will protect you. And this is made the more lovely by considering his knowledge of us in verses 14 to 16. You see there? We may at times think, you know what? You know what? I'm actually a pretty awesome sheep. Soft wool, even if balding. Strong voice, shepherd's pet. That's for all you teachers in here. Okay. But if you think like that, you miss some of the greatest comfort we have in Christ. We're heirs of grace. The verse is not All we like sheep have gone His way. And man, did we deserve His love. It's all we like sheep have gone astray. Each to His own way. So, that we are now a visible part of His fold is remarkable. On two accounts. One, by a work of grace in our hearts, we've now come to know Him. Not fully, like the Father knows the Son. Not fully, but really and truly as God would have us. That's that whole knowledge thing there in verse 14 between God and Christ. We heard someone once upon a time preach the gospel. Maybe it wasn't from you know, a, a pulpit or whatever, but, but we heard someone. Someone shared the gospel with us and at some point we heard in that gospel the voice of Jesus calling us home. And so we returned, as it were, again, to this shepherd and overseer of our souls. And in that, it's essential for us to bear in mind He did that knowing us truly and fully well. His knowing us is different than our knowing Him. Jesus knows us better than anybody, ourselves included. He knows what we don't want anyone else to know about us. Our dark is as light to Him. He knows us to the depths of our depravity. He knows what's in us. You remember from earlier in John. He sees the heart. He knows that we are, in a word, sinners. And that we would crucify Him when He came into the world and still He came into the world to be crucified for us. Church, Jesus is not a shepherd who shepherds by merit. Such an easy thing to do. He's not a shepherd who shepherds by merit. He's a shepherd who shepherds by grace. His love is not earned by self-righteousness. It's given freely for sinners to embrace. That's a great part of his emphasis in verse 16 for what it's worth. is to show the lengths of his love. It's not confined to the so-called worthy of Israel. He has one flock. And guess what's true of all of them? They're all sinners. Even dirty Gentile sinners. Like, who, who are the Gentiles. I think all of us, okay? So, for us all, we have one Savior. Incredible. One shepherd. And there is then an immense amount of comfort that flows from that. He knows all his own, in and out, bad and worse. And yet, as it says in Romans 5, he died for us. In this, he demonstrated his love for us. Seeing the cross, can we ever rightly doubt His love? Here's how J.I. Packer once put it. He said, quote, There is tremendous relief in knowing that Christ's love to me, this is incredible, is based at every point on His prior knowledge of the worst about me. That is... He's loved us and gathered us in spite of us. His cross says that His love to us, however we may waver, is unwavering. He says, no take backs. None of His sheep are ever so far gone that He says, well, now you've gone and done it. That's too far. Love revoked. No. No. He knows the worst in us of the worst of us. And when we prove that worst, He loves us no less. Indeed, it's then that He especially comes to us in love. He's the Savior of sinners. And His love then is really steadfast towards us. We have been swept up into the love of God Which leads us, for now, into the final details of his pastorate in verses 17 and 18, and it's this, the self-sacrificial use of his authority. And a quick scan of our culture today tells us why we need to listen up at this point. The abuse of authority and therefore skepticism of virtually all authority, but our own, has never been more visible In the United States of America, maybe. And the local church is lamentably included. Maybe even front and center in that. So we just do away with all authority. We should just go rogue. We should live distrusting lives, be suspicious of any and everyone in a place of authority. They're up to no good and all this kind of thing. I really do get it. I really do. That's why we need to be exceedingly biblical in our vetting of leaders. But I will argue there's no way to live as sheep. God is a king. His word is our command. And Jesus himself has what now? After the resurrection. All authority. In heaven and on earth. It's mine. It's just that in the church, we need to rediscover the way that Jesus uses that authority. Because how Jesus uses it is why God the Father loves him. You see that there? It makes the Father go, that's my boy. That's my son. And it's not to abuse and leverage the sheep for himself. Again, what is it? is to lay down his life for their salvation. Jesus, listen, Jesus exercises his authority in obedience to God for the life of his sheep. And that is incredible. Jesus has authority over life. He has authority over death. No one, verse 18, takes my life from me. So, if you never thought about that, we've we, we got to make sure we don't get the cross wrong. Don't think that the cross or people who nailed Him to the cross took the life of Jesus. Death was not forced on Jesus. He, having all power over death, had to voluntarily submit to it we got to feel that. He didn't just give out like we do and will. He's God. And so he had to will his death. He had to lay it down of his own accord. And so he did. He used his authority over life and death to do what? To die. (laughs) And rise. Lord of all. Again. For our good and for God's glory. Jesus is the good shepherd. So enter by Him. Live by Him. Follow Him. Protected and known and convinced. There is no safer place for our souls than in the sheepfold and care of Christ the Almighty. Whatever we do, we have to do better than the congregation of Israel. They just had Jesus illustrate. This was not like like some kind of discourse. (laughs) He was giving them pictures and illustrations and all these kinds of things that we love. We have Jesus illustrating the best pastorate for them. What do they say in verses 19 to 21? They say, that sounds insane. You are mental, Jesus. You clearly have a demon, and we are not going to listen to you anymore. Can you believe that? Can you believe that? I can. And you should. Where the sheep aren't his sheep at all. That was Israel. They've heard his voice and what do they do? (laughs) La, 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 la. They stop their ears. Don't want to hear that anymore. And maybe worse, you look at verse 21. What have they seen? They've seen the good fruit of his ministry. He's opened the eyes of the blind. And while it may give them a little bit of pause about him doesn't appear to be enough to generate faith in him oh dear ones I hope we can see better (laughs) and do better and I trust we will I trust that we'll be so near to Jesus that we'll easily recognize and seek to cultivate good shepherds and good shepherding where the chief ambition will always be to direct every heart to the chief shepherd oh friend Enter salvation today by taking the door that God has provided. It's Christ crucified and raised from the dead. Believe that He, in that way, will save you. Believe in Him. And then let us know about it because we'd love nothing more than to welcome you into the fold of God today. And beloved, I'll just leave us with this. The Lord is our shepherd. We shall not want. But by Him, and through it all, still waters and death valleys, we can say, surely, surely, goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. And I shall dwell in the house of the Lord finally, forever. And when it comes to answering the question, what makes for a good shepherd, it really is just a matter of getting to know Jesus better together. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for your word, it's so helpful. So convicting, but so good for us. And so I just pray for myself chiefly, for our shepherds here, for those who are in other ways leading the congregation, and for this congregation in some, that we would have our eyes directed to you. And that they would be kept there always by the mercy and power of the Holy Spirit and his effect upon us through the teaching and preaching of your word. In Jesus' name we ask it.